Vita sales numbers aren't looking too good. Bioware is having trouble letting go of subscribers. And Gaikai is finally rolling out the Facebook. All that, plus more, on today's MASHcast. Another edition of the Mash Those Buttons MASHcast. I'm Jared, and I'm here with senior editor Rob Hill-Williams. Hello again. Yes, and I am very pleased to welcome our new co-host, who some of you may know as Wookie BH, Nick Zelenkevich. Hello. This is, uh, this is very strange. This must be what it's like to be in the Matrix, I guess. Yes, he's one of us now. I expected more of a Wookiee growl to start things off. That's how you communicate the entire match. It's not not subtitled, unfortunately, and I wouldn't have Han Solo here to really translate. Nice. I'm glad you take the listeners into mind. Thanks for that. That, we can work on that. Um, but yes, how we kind of do things here at Mash Those Buttons, I guess, you know, one moment you're a, a star commenter, next moment you're actually doing a podcast and working for us. Well, I just wanted to prove that if anyone really follows their dreams and comments just once a week, uh, they, they can achieve their goals. See, Nick is our own personal Kevin Garnett. Yeah, he's there for the children. <laughs> Anything and my, my knees are also horribly shot, too, so it's actually <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we actually we have a lot to cover today. We're going to get into it. Uh, usually, I start with Rob, but since you're new, Nick, tell us what have you been playing uh, well, for the last some... year. For no, the last year. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, well, actually, no, for the last year, I have been playing World of Warcraft. Um, but I also have been playing some uh, Mass Effect 2 lately and uh, the uh, Amalur demo. Okay. And uh, what about you, Rob? Uh, I've been playing Skyrim. At, at Skyrim, you know, it's a single-person MMO, so hooray. Uh, the Sora's Wrath demo, which looks really nice for being Unreal, like the Unreal Engine. Like, it doesn't look like it's an Unreal Engine game, but it is filled with QuickTime events. Like, it comprised most of the demo, and I'm kind of worried about that, but I guess we'll see. I hope it's not just a bunch of QuickTime events linked together to do really cool stuff. So, is, when you say QuickTime events, would that make it like the uh, the Heavy Rain demo? Kind of. I mean, like, Heavy Rain's a little different because of why it has you do them, but, like, Asura's Wrath is supposed to be, was like, looks like an action game, like... I don't know, like Ninja Guy or Devil May Cry, and it doesn't play like it. It, it, it plays like, like it, more it plays move. like oh, move your move the left stick out so you can move your foot and do you know stomp and be awesome, and you know then hit R two so you can do the next awesome thing and sprout six arms and fight. Like it's a lot of quick time events. Like right. you don't hit buttons to attack things as far as like like you know if like oh you have an enemy like next to you 
Like, you don't hit the button to attack things, like, next to you as, like, a melee fight nearly as much as you do quick time events. Like, huh. all of the cinematic stuff that you've seen with, like, him fighting back against, like, the guy who's, like, the size of the planet pushing down with his finger and all that stuff, all quick time events. Like, entirely. It's not like, oh, there's an actual fight that goes on, really. It's, like, spam on circle. So you can punch his finger. So, so then is there... Well, I guess, I mean, you've only played the demo, so is there the promise, then, of any actual fighting in the game, or is that what we ostensibly can expect, then? There were two parts of the demo. One was the the planet-sized boss, which played, like, Space Harrier and Quick Time Events, which is weird to me. And then there's a part on the moon where you fight his mentor, and that was a little bit closer to, a like, a regular fight. Um, still had a lot of Quick Time Events in it, though, but it was at least closer to what I was expecting. So I don't know which is going to be the face of the game that shows up next month. Like, if it's going to be a whole bunch of, like, more of the same of the quick time events, or if you're actually going to get more of the fighting. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of the time in these demos, they like to show the new features off, and sometimes they show them off too much to the point where you think that's going to be it. Yeah, I I, I don't know. <laughs> because I, I was like, wow, this is this is not exactly what I was expecting. But it wasn't necessarily bad. But I couldn't, I couldn't play an entire game that was like the first part of the demo. Like that would just not be a game at all. Um, and then I played. Um, I, I got back into Catherine. It's still good, but I just, you know, hadn't gotten a chance to finish it, so I'm getting back into that. And then the Amalur demo, um, which I felt like was playing WoW, Skyrim, and Dragon Age Two all mixed together. It really. I, I didn't play Dragon Age Two, but I did get a lot of Dragon Age vibes from it. Uh, it could just be the uh, just the general fantasy setting is is uh, maybe I'm getting a bit long in the tooth for them, but yeah, it uh, it was very reminiscent of that. I thought. And also, the also graphic. I guess the, like really the only wow thing to it to me was well, I guess actually they kind of set it up like an MMO in a way, but like the graphical style is not quite as nice as I thought it was going to be. Like it it kind of went for that. Oh, we're gonna look timeless, but it didn't need to do that. I I, I thought the gnomes had a big nose. That was really only my my only complaint. <laughs> <laughs> but but, th- but that's uh, that's the one that, that uh, Todd McFarlane did did the art for, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. Yep. So yeah, I could kind of yeah I, I could kind of see that even in the uh, the early characters, a little uh, like the big nose is a little McFarlane esque. Yeah, so, I mean it was it was decent. I, I don't think the combat is as innovative as they've been kind of tooting, but it's good. So I don't know. I might might pick it up. I'm not sure yet. I don't know. If it's as expansive as Skyrim, I'll probably just wait until it goes on sale. Because, I mean, I have Skyrim, and I'm just kind of sitting on that right now. Because I'm like, well, I kind of want to play, but I don't have three hours, <laughs> you know, to play a game right now. Right, and it it seems like that. Like once you get out of like the first section of the game, they give you like 45 minutes to just go around, and it's like big world map, you know, fast travel type stuff like Skyrim quests all over the place like oh you here's your main quest but you can wander into this next town and then get like four other quests in it you know is, like, is, is there any option to save in that demo because i i like quit no, halfway because through because I, I ran out of something like i had real life time issues not the demo time <laughs> issues, but. no i don't I, I didn't notice one uh like they just give you the 45 minutes and it pauses during you being in the inventory screen or you know, the pause screen or talking to someone so you can go through all the options without worrying about your time. Um, 
and then like I screwed something up terribly and had like an entire town attacking me and as far as I there was no way to like go back <laughs> so nice. I was like well there goes that demo <laughs> but whatever I got a good taste of it so well, it's, it's, uh, I'll definitely have to finish that out then because it sounds interesting I'm gonna try it out I mean if it's more linear than Skyrim it might have a better chance with me but if it's just as open and broad and you have those quests like go take bread to this person type quests I'm just like it- I hate it's that. open and broad. Like, I mean, even right down to like, oh, like, I need your help to go through this cavern. Like, and the person goes with you, and you go fight through a cavern, you go get an item and stuff like that. Like, it's it's pretty expansive. I'm, I was actually kind of impressed at how expansive it is. Uh, but yeah, just maybe that's too much for you. I don't know. <laughs> right now, I think it is. I think right now it will be a bit too much for me. Um, but uh, in terms of what I've been playing. I there's only been one game that I played over the last week, and that's Dust Force. Because and the only reason I even got a chance to play it because I, uh, you know, uh, had to review it, and uh, that game was actually pretty good. I like it a lot. Like you would think that a game that was about cleaning would kind of you know suck, um, but it doesn't suck. It's actually pretty good. Like um, all the characters, even from like the uh, the 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 load not the loading screen, but like the opening credits, it gives you like a Ninja Gaiden type feel. Because of the way, like, the janitors are running through the fields and, like, doing their moves and flips and stuff like that. But instead of swords, they have, like, a broom. <laughs> like, a, like, a push broom. And, like, the one chick has, like, these, these hand dusters are, like, pom-poms. But, you know. And you could do stuff like, uh, you know, the, the game is about... Pretty much about, like, keeping momentum. Like, you know, you could dash and sweep. And you could, like, wall jump and slide and slide on ceilings and... You know, do air combos and all types of stuff. Yeah, so, if anybody's ever seen the trailer, like they, it it looks very interesting. It, it very is moment, like very much is momentum based. Like you sweeping stuff across the ceiling, but like that's how you can go, like slide across the entire ceiling and stuff like that. Yeah, like it's all about chaining together what you're cleaning and all that stuff. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, and it's a, it's a time trial game. Like you're rated on a scale of like S to D. And, oh, okay. And here's the deal. Like you only get a fraction of the game if you're not good at it. Like you get like part, you get. I mean, there's certain doors that are just open because there's an open, there's like a world screen, so those doors are just open. But in order to unlock the other doors, you have to get a perfect score on the doors that are open. So every for every door that's open, you have to get a perfect score, and you get one key, which will allow you to open up one more door. Uh... And, and the doors that are already open, like they're not that easy to get a perfect score on. To be honest right. with you. Like, you actually have to, like, master those levels. Like, before you get into the difficult levels, you have to master, like, movement and stuff like that before you even think about going to difficult levels because getting, like, a, a, like a, like a double S, you know, for, for a perfect score is actually pretty pretty difficult. So, yeah, like, it, it is a challenging game. And if you, you know, if you're not for the challenge, like, I don't even think you, you'll truly get your money's worth out of it. Because if you don't perfect to a degree, like, you're not going to be able to play the whole game. Are you finding, though, that the, I guess, the skills that it's putting you through in order to master those early levels, that it's then making you reuse them in the later levels as though it's some sort of, like, training progression? Absolutely. Like, um, like in the beginning, you have a tutorial level. You know, and then pretty much all the other levels of the tutorial level, you, you you use pretty much all of your moves. You know, and it's like you have to like you, you're rated on completion, which is how much dust you actually sweep. 
and then you have finesse, which is how well you chain your combos together. You know, so you have to constantly chain your combos, and if you don't, like, you lose the combo meter, and your finesse rating goes down. And you also have to, like, you know, chain combo meters, have a high completion, and finish the level in a certain amount of time to get, like, a high finesse rating, so... Yeah, it definitely makes you master your craft before moving on. It's pretty, it's pretty good the way you put it together. I, I, li- I love challenging games like that because they actually make it make me feel like, uh, you know, like like I'm, I'm getting my money's worth. You know, right? It's cool. PC only, right? It's PC only for now. For now, it, does it have gamepad support? Yeah, it does. Actually, the is control- it better with it? Yes, absolutely, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Like I was actually a, a big chunk of my review was going to talk about the controls. And then I was like, let me hook up my, my, my gamepad and see if I can map the controls. And I did, and then all of my game all of my control issues were gone. Every last one. Yeah, it's I guess maybe this the you know, not the problem of having it on PC, but like, you know, default you think, oh, like, you know, keyboard and mouse. But for a game like that, when I saw it, I'm like, I couldn't imagine trying to do that on, on keyboard and mouse. Like they're those are the types of things that like kind of, like controllers are actually better for. But I have yet to actually play it, so that's why. I figured I'd ask. Yeah, yeah, controller is definitely where to go if anybody picks it up. So, um, but yeah, that's that's it. that's gonna end that section. So let's just get right into the topics, and uh, we're gonna talk a little, <laughs> a little about Zenga today, uh, struggling with their new titles. Uh, Surprise! Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so Zenga, you know, uh, is pretty much in terms of social, I guess, social gaming, you can say a social gaming powerhouse. Everybody should really know who they are at this point. Um, recently, they released two new games, uh, one called Hidden Chronicles and one called Scramble with Friends. Uh, the Cohen, uh, Cohen and company did some research and they found that uh, these two new games are only getting about 710,000 daily active users after the first 12 days as compared to the the two games that were released beforehand uh castleville and empires and allies which at this point still get five million daily active users so you know for i guess for a, a smaller developer getting you know seven hundred ten thousand users is a is a pretty big deal and that it wouldn't be so bad but this is zenga we're talking about you know seven hundred ten thousand daily active users not that spectacular <laughs> and as always daily active users does not equal profit right away i oh, mean yeah. a lot of their free games you know like this the scramble wars with friends all those with friend games like they have like ads and stuff but that's still not you know a high enough turnover for them to make <laughs> the kind of money they need to be making has has anyone actually played the games to know like if there is there is there a drop in quality that's causing this or is it just that maybe people are getting tired of Zynga or maybe they're just attached to prior games such that that's why they're not sort of I guess migrating over and uh, you know handing Zynga all their money. I'm not, I'm not sure. Scramble with friends, like as far as I know, neither one's been very like you know advertised. Like with the for friends games are very much word of mouth to a certain extent. And if you were to say, like, put Scramble with Friends, like, an ad for Scramble with Friends on, like, Words with Friends, which everybody plays, things like that, like, I think they, they may see more users, and apparently they're starting to do that, but, like, it's only happened, like, recently. Um, I, I'm not so sure about the other one, but, I mean, like, if you think about it, like, Scramble with Friends is just another iteration of the same thing that they have already done, so I don't know if it's Burnout, too. Well, yeah, that's the thing with Zynga. I, I, personally, I think people 
are starting to just kind of get tired of the whole of, of pretty much the same games repackaged and then redelivered. Um, actually, there was uh, some you know some extra research done by Cohen and Company. Uh, they said that Zynga has a twenty percent churn rate, and what a churn rate is is it's the percentage of subscribers uh, who subscribe to a service and then discontinue that service. So on a right on you know per quarter, twenty percent of their players you know stop playing. Um, and and uh, Cohen and Company says that Zynga would need nine to ten million you know daily active users additional, like a di- nine to ten million additional daily active users per quarter just to keep up with what they had before. You know, with their with their new games, they would need to bring that in, and it doesn't look like that's happening. Yeah, layman's terms, like the new games that they may have to be bringing those numbers up, and they haven't done that so far. Um, they were, like, the concern basically is that, like, if you may know Zynga as far as, like, a Farmville and stuff like that, but as far as Zynga goes, like, it gets all of its attention, like, right away. Like, day one, you know, millions of users, yada, yada, yada. Um, but for them to have, like, a slow, steady climb like a lot of other games might have is not their style. So people who watch this, because the Cohen and Company, are they're an analyst company, and that's why they're even reporting on this or, you know, doing an evaluation, basically. Uh, people who watch them because of money, you know, money concerns, like that kind of a movement worries them because, like, that's not what they've done before. Also, yeah, but, not not even to mention just the drop-off in users. Yeah, but fundamentally, then, isn't that sort of a, a disconnect in expectations? I mean, you can only kind of, like, bust in the door once and come charging in. After that, everybody knows that you're there, and, and wouldn't you then, at that point, be subject to sort of the same rules everybody else is as far as climbing the game slowly? Especially, like you mentioned, they're only now getting around to advertising words with friend, or uh, Scramble with Friends in Words with Friends. Like that, that, that seems like it's only going to lend themselves to sort of not getting their product out there, but a little it seems i don't know it seems a little backwards I, I i agree i mean it is kind of backwards but unfortunately like social gaming wise like this is like that's the expectation that's been set and they've set the expectations themselves that they can keep doing it like that's their business model like that's how zynga works unfortunately i think that you know if you have a game and it slowly accumulates up to five million users that should be fine, but for Zynga, it's not because it's not their business model. So, so if if, if Zynga is kind of out of sync with what's happening, shouldn't we all be like giggling like little schoolgirls then? Like, because isn't this kind of what we would want for them? Oh yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, I'm I didn't want to walk into this like with him announcing like, oh Zynga's having trouble and go. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, on the inside, absolutely a little bit. I mean, it's not. It doesn't necessarily mean like all oh, Zynga's done folding up shop or no, anything. Not, not at all. Not at all. But. But yeah, it makes me a little happy to see that, like, oh, Zynga's human. But we saw that when they their IPO came out. Well, I think it's a little different for Zynga simply because, you know, well, Rob says it's a part of their business model, but I think it's their business model because they just constantly push out new games. You know, and for the first couple of rounds, that's what was happening. Every time they pushed something new out, um, people would just jump on it. So that became the expectation. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the fool me... You know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice type deal here because I think the users are starting to realize that, you know, Farmville and Castleville are the same thing. You know what I'm saying? With, 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 with different, you know, with just different scenery. And that's the thing. So it's like now that people are starting to actually catch, the regular users are starting to catch on to, it's to, to being the same thing over and over again. They're kind of like, well, 
if it's if if it's the same game, why am I? Why should I really switch? You you you. We are missing Cityville in that Ville iteration. If I'm well, not exactly, you know what I'm saying. It's like Farmville, Cityville, Castleville, Fishville, Yo-ville, Farmville. Whatever, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Like it's the same game repackaged. And so I don't know if they just thought people wouldn't wouldn't really catch on to the fact that it's the same game. But I think that because people are catching on to the fact that it's the same game, they're just not. They're not. They're not switching the way they the way they used to. Yeah, but weren't we kind of fundamentally saying the same thing about comparing like Amalur to Skyrim that it's more or less like the same game, and even kind of get back to Dragon Age that I mean, you know, to take it sort of even further. I mean, there's only so many games you can play. There's only so, so many stories you can tell. It all sort there, of play. there's there's a difference. I mean, like having multiple games that are open that that are like a, a fully open environment and expansive and stuff like that is different than let's say making Farmville and Cityville because at least in with Kingdoms of Amalur and Skyrim, you're going to have a different story. You're going to have different powers. You're going to have different gameplay aspects. You're going to have a lot of different things. Really the only similar aspects are that they're in fantasy worlds and that they're expansive fantasy worlds. Whereas with Farmville you know, or Cityville, which I haven't played Cityville, so I'm probably wrong in this analogy. You replace like sheep with cars. Like I don't know like how that works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that 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 I'm not. I guess I'm not comparing the Ville games to uh, you know a fantasy RPG. But I guess just the sense that I mean, I guess yeah, maybe the, the maybe the issue is more so each of them. Maybe I guess the, the issue is more so just that Zynga's put because these these games are really meant to be consumed fairly rapidly. It's it's sort of you come out and you you buy all your sheep and you buy all your your cows and then oh hey now I got to move on to Cityville and buy all my skyscrapers and buy all my uh, whatever else you buy in Cityville and then now you got to move on to Castleville and buy your 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 turrets and your 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 ramparts. It's not that exciting. I'm not saying it is, but I, I think <laughs> right, maybe it's but just, he's he's just saying that that's the cycle, I and I think yeah. that that's accurate. I think that the difference is that when you do that, when you have you know Farmville, you buy all your stuff, yay, hooray for me! I got a I've got a plantation, I've got a whole bunch of stuff, and then you go to Cityville and you buy you know apartment and you buy yay, you have a whole bunch of stuff, and then you go to Castleville and you have a castle and a fiefdom and you yay, I have all that stuff that you've essentially done the same thing every single time. Or not even essentially, like you literally you literally have accepted your scenery changes. At least if you say, I, and I'll go even one further than saying like Amalur and Skyrim, I'll say like take Oblivion and Skyrim. Because in in a lot of ways, you know, it, it's not like this is a one-trick pony, but like those games are as close as you're going to get to like that sort of a situation, I guess. Like that it, really, if you look at them, they're technically kind of the same thing. But... but Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish, 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 finish. Okay, um, but when you, you know, play Oblivion and you finish Oblivion, and then you play Skyrim and you finish Skyrim, you have a different experience then. Regardless of, you know, what giant boss that you beat, or, you know, that you were in the Thieves Guild in both games, or you were in the Dark Brotherhood, or whatever you did in both games, that, like, your experience, even between, like, similar circumstances, are different. Like it's more than just a scenery change. It's not, you know, oblivion reskinned. No, but like, yeah, I don't know. No, but also too, I think it's it's what was the time? How, I mean, how long was it between when Oblivion came out and Skyrim came out that you could go through and play through the game and get full of it and satiated, and then you know have time to sort of sit and wait for wait for Oblivion to uh, wait for Skyrim to come out? Whereas, I mean, how long? When did Cityville come out, and and how quickly did people churn through that? So I mean maybe they're just they're pushing too much stuff out too quickly. Oh, Actually, yeah. that is um, <laughs> totally a very valid point. 
because uh, Cohen and Company they they uh, dropped a couple more numbers in the uh, in, in the article um, where they said uh, that for the past two years um, per three months it looks like Zanga uh, their their I guess their uh, daily average user uh, rate drops about eighteen percent eighteen four eighteen point four percent per quarter sorry so it's about every four months for the past two years and that actually jumped up in the second half of 2011 to 24.4%. And they say that suggests cannibalization between their titles, which makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, you can only have so many bills. Like I, I can, I can take care of my, my farm and my city, but I can't take care of my farm, my city and my castle. Well, isn't there also too sort of an upper bound limit on the number of people that really, really like the Ville style of game? And I think once everybody's been exposed to Farmville or Cityville, at that point, every subsequent game is only going to pull those people. You're not the market oh, can't yeah. grow anymore. Well, I think that's the problem. I think that's why you see that twenty percent quarterly decline because you know those people. You when you have the Farmville and you get the farm, like, and then Castleville comes out, like, you leave Farmville behind. Like, because you are playing the same game, like, why would you pay twice for it or why would you upkeep the same game except, you know, a new scenery? Like, it's new to you technically, but there comes a point where that doesn't work anymore and I think that that's why they're having all these issues. I don't think that they can recover that, you know, like, 9 to 10 million people over, you know, that, like, the, the number that they need to hit. I don't, the way that they make games, I don't see them being able to recover that. No, not to keep the value or the 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 value or the perceived value up. I I don't think they'll be able to maintain, especially you know they have the twenty percent drop in uh the twenty percent drop that was mentioned earlier, or the churn rate I should say every quarter. But you know the 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 you know, additional eighteen percent, you know, on average every 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 quarter as well for the past two years it's a downward decline that you know that's a big that's a, that's a kind of a big chunk to come back from almost 25 percent of your user base you know as of the second half of last year is dropping out per quarter and the yeah. thing is i think it just shows that like they're they're normal but like everybody has put them on such a pedestal like i mean like nick pointed out they've been put on such a pedestal that like they're facing expectations that you can't meet over that like over like a consistent period of time and it's just, I think it's just the flaw showing, you know, like that. Because this is like everybody else, and you have a kind of a crappy business model, it doesn't work out for you, and it's not working out. Yeah. So, uh, well, like, well, you know, we'll continue to see what happens with Zanga, you know, if they man- if they manage to pull out of this or not. Uh, but somebody else who has some low numbers uh, happens to be Sony in regards to the PlayStation Vita. Um, once again, well, I guess this is the fourth week in a row where the PS Vita's sales numbers have dropped uh, more than 50%. Because uh, I think the, the the sales of the first week uh, were were about, what was it, 324,000-ish? 325,000? Yeah. And uh, that after the, the, this past week, uh, their sales were 18,000, around 18,000-ish. So, and that's units, not dollars of course but um right you know that's uh i don't know that is that was a 50 percent drop from the week before which was forty two thousand. which was you know like a 40 percent drop from the week before that which was like yeah. a 75 percent like i i mean i i basically i mean i one of the sources is the article i wrote about you know 
wrote about it and my thoughts are kind of the i mean like they're the same as they were when i wrote it it was like two days ago but um i japan like japan is different like as far as how things work and they don't have a japanese killer app they don't have a game that's you know aside from like i would maybe like the maybe the uh hot shots golf like maybe the only one that has like a japanese appeal i don't like it, it just doesn't appeal to Japanese. Would Hot Shots Golf really be a killer app, though? Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not a killer app at all. But I think it's the only title that they have that could be considered like Japanese centric, or you know, Jap- would attract Japanese attention. And it's not a killer app by any means. Like, it's not. So I think that even even as as much as I want to say, you know, like oh, like you know, we still have a month to wait. You know, it's coming out in the U.S. It'll probably be better. It's really, it really is worrying though to see it drop and drop and drop and drop and drop and drop and drop. Like, it's. But I mean, like at the same time, I think that you don't find out how it really does until it comes out in the U.S. Like, right. it has to come out here, and we have to see how it does. Give it a couple, you know, give it the same amount of time over here, or or at least you know more amount, you know, three months or two months before we say like, okay, well, Vita's a failure. Yeah, but if if you're saying that the only real game available for it is Hot Shots Golf, are they giving you any reason to go out and buy it? I mean, outside of the early adopters who got it the minute it came out, is there any re- you know is there any reason for for you know the, the I guess the average Vita user, whoever they're targeting, to go out and, and rush to get that? I, I I think in this case again, it's kind of like with the DS, like no or the 3DS. Nobody went out and bought the 3DS until they had a bunch of games to say like, oh hey, I can play you know Mario 3D on there now. It's I think it's the same thing. Once they start getting enough software on there, the sales will pick back up. Actually, don't don't get me wrong. The actual actually the there is a big difference between them because. When I say that like it doesn't have a, a game with Japanese appeal, like I don't mean it doesn't have games. Like Vita actually has a pretty strong launch lineup. Um, it, but like when you have games like Uncharted and Little Deviants and stuff like that, uh, like I guess maybe Katamari, but like they they have like a decent launch lineup of games. They've got about like what ten to twenty games in the launch lineup. It's just that none of those games are like very Japanese. Yeah. Or, or have very Japanese appeal. Like they have a strong launch lineup, and that's why I say like you really have to wait until it comes out in the U.S. because the, most of the games that they have on its plate are are very like Western centric. I think. But but the games you're mentioning, like Katamari and Uncharted, they're all they're all they're I guess they're all iterations of games that already came out for the the, the PS3 or well, I guess in Katamari the case of the PS2. Uh, I mean, is there anything sort of new and and any I guess is, are they giving you any real reason to say no? I need to have this Vita and I need to have it now. Not any more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, like it's yeah, it's going to be iterations of the same stuff. I mean, they have, uh, but like if you look at the list, like yeah, it's mostly things that have come out before. But I guess like the fact that it has games, period, that are decent and not just you know even if they're iterations of the same thing that are different is I guess the you know I guess my sticking point as to why like you have to see it in the U.S. first. The the launch lineup they have is probably one of the strongest launch lineups I've ever seen for a release of any console, like, period, the, with the games that they have. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, it, most new consoles tend to be that iteration of the next thing. You know, like three sixty, like one of three sixties, like biggest games was like Madden 06 or whatever when it came out, and I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I don't, yeah, I'm just saying, like it's there's not usually like new IPs that launch along with them because I guess I guess partially because they're unsure that like how they'll do. Like not only like are you trying to like sell a new system, but you're trying to sell a new IP with something too. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, it's a good strategy to go with known IPs, but it's not like they just took games and rehashed them. Like, Uncharted Golden Abyss, is a, it's, it's a, a unique game. It's a different game. Wipeout 2048 has new features. It's a new game. They could have put that game on, you know, the PS3 if they wanted to. Um, all of the games that they have aren't just mobile versions of the games that are out on consoles. And I think that's what is really the difference here, you know, between this and let's say the, 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 uh, the PSP launch, um, Nintendo typically is really good with all of their launches. They're usually pretty good about having some, you know, unique games out there. That's because they've been, they, they have like straight up mobile IPs from back in the early nineties that they can use, not mobile, sorry, but handheld IPs that they can use, you know, like super Mario land, you know, it's, it's known, but yet it's still unique because it's a, uh, it's uh it's a, you know, it's a, it's a handheld game, even though it wasn't a part of the launch, but you know, with the games that the Vita does have out, they, they are pretty strong titles. Um, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Uncharted, Wipeout, Dynasty Warriors, um, Touch My Katamari, which is sounds kind of dirty. But, <laughs> but, uh, it sounds dirty in all the right ways for Katamari. Yeah. But that's the thing, like it's it's I think it has a really strong lineup, but like Rob said, it's not very Japanese centric, which is why it's just not doing as well um as it as it could be if they release more Japanese centric titles. At the same time though, a fifty percent drop in sales, still, still not very uh, convincing. Right, like yeah. I said, like you got to see it in the U.S., but like it's not, it's not a good sign. Yeah, it's not <laughs> when a good you see it drop fifty percent, like in the last three weeks after like a huge drop, and after the first week, right? I mean, right. you're out of the holiday boom, but like, why is? Uh, well, actually, I could tell you why, but like, why is the PS Vita selling less than a PSP? You know, but that's because PSP is selling for less and there's more titles available, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Like it still should be selling more. Like that's your new system. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't know. I think it's going to sell better in the U S because of the titles. I think it's going to do better than the 3DS did. Um, the 3DS's problem was the fact was what was indeed the software, the software or lack of, of software was the problems with the 3DS. Um, now Sony, you know, I think you would, I would have expected them to be a bit more concerned, but they actually seem pretty unconcerned by the the, the low sales number. Um, actually, uh, let's see, uh, Sony's marketing head, uh, John Collier, he uh, he said that this is actually falling within the within expectations, and I'm like, you expected a fifty percent drop in your fourth week, but that's what he says. It's within you know expectations they see so they're, they're really relying on the uh, word of mouth factor and you know for you know for people to go buy it talk you know talk it up and you know how much talk about how much they like it and then their friends go get it so basically that's the same sort of sales model that we said that zynga is starting to see now as far as their, their 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 items selling but then sort of building up over time as opposed to you know selling a lot and then maintaining that i guess you know that maintaining that high popularity well, I think Zenga. The difference is that Zenga is just coming back down to the norm now. You know, they they were you know, they were just getting tons of traffic before, and now are finally coming down to the norm. Whereas Sony is, I guess, I think they're 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 doing they're spending less advertising on marketing, 
and more and i think they're 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 expecting more from people just talking about it with their friends and getting them to buy it i think it's notable though that this is the same type of approach they took with the ps move and while the while you know while the ps move wasn't uh, an abounding success it still generated quite a bit of money for sony so i would call it you know successful so it's not successful business successful like you know it's it's enough for them to keep pushing forward with it so uh, they this 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 approach they're taking is tried and it's worked but you know the ps move doesn't cost as much as the ps beta so who knows if it's gonna if it's really gonna work out in this aspect i think that's the sticking point i really like i think that's the one thing that like does bother me like it coming out of 250 is pretty amazing when the 3ds was the same price 3DS isn't the same price anymore, and right. now it's equal to other systems and right. not just a handheld. I think you probably see a fifty dollars drop within the first year, and I think that may fix a lot. You mentioned but, too, though. You mentioned too, though, that they, it's not selling as well as the PSP is. So, is it possible that maybe they they brought it out high to kind of clear out the PSP inventory, and then once that's done, at that point, you'll get that fifty dollars price drop, and then maybe the Vita will really start to move at that point. I don't think so because who, I don't <laughs> no, think, I think that's the way it was planned. I think that's all retailers moving the PSPs. You you know you're making room for new inventory. You're making room for the new system. So you you know you lower the prices. You run sales. You clear out old stock of of PSPs and people pick them up because they're cheap. And holidays came and why not? You know like they have a library of games already. There's lots of reasons that you could. Um, I don't think that's Sony's plan <laughs> like nah. if that was their plan they could be like oh it's 300 dollars, and then not market it at all and just bring it out and people would start you know retailers would move the psp for them but and then they could drop it like a hundred dollars and it would look like an awesome thing but i don't think that's their their strategy yeah i don't think they were like yeah let's release this new system so we can get rid of the psp <laughs> i don't think that's the conversation they were having at sony hq uh, but uh, I, yeah, we're less than a month away. Are we less than a month away? No, we're just about a month away. I would just say. about. We have yeah. we're a month and three days out. Yeah. So unless you get the early adapter pack, which is three fifty. Yeah, I can wait. <laughs> yeah, I can wait. You know, so I can rock my Vita bling on my neck at packs. Try it. So you know, I'll uh, we'll see what happens, and they have my money on release day, so we'll see. And you know, I guess that that's when the chatter really starts on if it was successful, if it was not. We're still gonna have people jumping to conclusions like when it's first week in in the U.S. Like, oh, it didn't they didn't sell a bajillion units? It's gonna fail. You know, that's because of the iPhone. <laughs> you know, we're gonna we're, we're probably gonna hear about that, but we'll keep an eye on that. Moving on to our next topic, though, um, something I found interesting. I found it on Joystick. Um, Ray Force came to iOS. The, the game, uh, it's a it's a shooter. It's a, it's a you know it's a shoot 'em up, and it uh, came to iOS. And I mean, the title itself isn't that spectacular, but I think the 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 the, the surprising thing is that it released for eleven ninety nine. Like you know, you expect like an app to be a dollar, ninety nine cents to three ninety nine, maybe free, free with ads. Right. Yeah, exactly. But Square Enix didn't think so. Square Enix actually priced it at eleven or well, twelve bucks, pretty much. It's it's still eleven ninety nine, so it's twelve bucks. I thought that was pretty interesting, because I, I I I don't know like does Square Enix think it's you know think that it's just you know they can squeeze is that good that they can squeeze extra money out of people 
or are we finally starting to see that you know the larger the the larger houses the larger publishers aren't making the money that they want to make from these mobile games because they're a dollar they're two dollars or they're free with ads i think it's a little bit of both square is notorious for having higher prices on stuff than most people would like on platforms like not so much in like consoles and stuff like that because you don't really see it but if you ever like go and download like a you know a game off psn or whatever from like say like an old final fantasy from square you you see that you see where the price comes in you know you don't get those for like Five bucks. They, no, they sell do, them for ten, fifteen. <laughs> they do, right. no. They do the same though with a lot of like the, uh, the 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 Game Boy games and stuff. As far as pricing them, like a good five to ten dollars above every other, uh, or I should say, the DS games now. True. Uh, but they're, they, I mean, no. It's, it's you're right. It's not uncommon for them to do this. Yeah. So I think it's maybe a little bit of both. I don't necessarily think that they were consciously thinking like, oh, we're not making enough money back on it, so it has to be eleven ninety nine on the iOS. Because I don't think Reforce is the game you do that with anyway. Like right. yeah. even 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 given that, you know, like I think there is a devaluation and we we've talked about before, like in what people perceive as being the value of games on on, you know, smartphones and stuff. Um, because that's the expectation is a dollar now. But I think that eleven ninety nine is too high for that game. Like well, Reforce for sure. Five, you know, five bucks maybe you know like maybe that's the you know but i don't know i don't know what their that what their expected take back is you know but but i think i think somebody's got to sort of be the first person to make the move and say well if ostensibly we're going to be releasing games that we feel are of a, say a 35 or or a 40 dollar quality that we would release for other you know handheld or or dare i say mobile consoles then why shouldn't it be the same price if we're going to release it for a a, a phone, which you know is also arguably a mobile console, but if we've got to get to that thirty-five dollar price point, we've got to start moving in that direction. So maybe we take a crappy game and we say, "Hey, it, it, we'll sell it for twelve dollars. We'll see how that sell, sells, and then see if we can pull the price up that way." I mean, if 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 that's what we come to expect from a a house like you know Square Enix or, or you know eventually someday I'm sure EA or uh, Activision, then you know that's the price point they're going to want to push it at. So it's got to. It's got to head in that way eventually. That works if if people are actually if more than a few people are actually doing it. Like take a, and on top of that, you have to look at the other games that are on that platform. I mean, in terms of like so you know side not side scrolling shooters because this one you know scrolls up, but you know in terms of like shoot 'em ups, there's tons of shoot 'em ups you can get on iOS for a dollar free. I think it's the same problem that EA had with Tetris when it first came out for let's I think for Android at least. Cause I don't have an iPhone, I have Android. I remember when I got my, uh, uh, it wasn't my first Droid phone. It was my, uh, my, my, the charge I have now. And I went looking for Tetris, and Tetris was seven bucks. You know, why would I pay seven dollars for, for Tetris, you know, EA Tetris, be, just because it's licensed, when I can literally go to the App Store and pay nothing? Or, for drop blocks or something. Exactly. Yeah. For drop them blocks, drop them T blocks or whatever. <laughs> exactly. For like a Tetris clone that plays exactly the same. When you have simple gameplay mechanics like that, you really can't afford to be taking risks <laughs> like like they are with Rayforce. It'll be different if it was like a Final Fantasy. Like if we say, okay, we're releasing Final Fantasy VII on the iPhone, it's going to be 15 bucks. Oh, yeah. People pay for it. Oh yeah, but that's but, but that's the game you do that with. Exactly. I think I think they'd want to release it at like twenty five or thirty bucks then. Oh, they would love to, and I and I think that's the thing. I don't think they're planning get planning to get to thirty five dollars. I think they would love to get there, like where yeah. they could sell stuff for iOS that for that much. But you also have to like, 
I guess you have to meet like what that price point is implying. You know, I don't know how good Ray Force is. I would hope that you know what Ray, Mega Man was what seven ninety nine Mega yeah, Man thanks. yeah, and that game was shit. That was a terrible $8. port. Yeah. But you know, if twelve dollars and it's like the same as playing it in the, like you know in an arcade cabinet, then maybe you have something. But it has to be worth that money too. Like there's there's like a, a weird dichotomy. Like you you have like users who who feel that games are worth less than what they may actually be, and you have publishers who think they're worth more than they're worth really when they put them out. Yeah, they really need to get like a middleman in there. To be like, okay, here's what you think. Here's what they think. Here's the reality. We need we need to sell this many units at this price point, but we're not going to sell this many units if it hits this price point. So we're probably better off going here. They really need somebody to do, to, to to live in reality <laughs> over there for a second. So so fundamentally, you want them to kind of take the price to arbitration. That's not funny, Nick. <laughs> I don't know if it necessarily was meant to be. No, but maybe maybe this is sort of their. I mean, because clearly, I mean, there's no precedent for anybody paying, you know, more than what fifteen dollars for a, a downloadable, I guess, uh, you know, a downloadable app for your for your phone. Uh, I can't think of anything that is that. I mean, so I mean, if, if they they I, th- I think they're trying to push it up in some direction, and and maybe they're figuring, okay, this is just as good as every other shooter. How much exactly is the premium you're paying? Because you know this is a Square Enix game, so if it'd normally be one ninety nine, we'll make it eleven ninety nine. We'll see if we're worth ten dollars. I mean, maybe in the regular console space, doing something like that will work because, like, you know, we're Square Enix, and we, you know, so we can put this extra this extra cost on like a a PSN game or an xbox live arcade game but you're dealing like with an app store that's like the wild wild west man like you know literally somebody will see your game and then make that shit and then yeah, give it for free but, you know but, but, uh, but they're not but they're not square enix i mean yeah you, so if you know what you're doing you can go find the clone and download that but maybe they're hoping that maybe they have a built-in fan base of people who love square enix and will pay any price for their games and they'll say hey you know what? i like them on my ps3 i'm gonna like them on my droid let me get uh, get ray force the same here's people- the problem though go ahead the this is this is the only problem with that thought is that the they do have an install base, but it is not on smartphones. They may have that, but the the wider market is not like the 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 average person doesn't look at Square Enix and think, oh man, Square Enix. You know, like if I go downstairs and you know ask you know my mom or somebody like, oh well, it, it, Square Enix, they're gonna look at me like I'm crazy. But at the same time, they're gonna go in the iOS store and see something like, oh, that's interesting. And but they're not gonna pay twelve dollars. Like no. Square Enix means nothing to that person, no, and that's no. the person that they're trying to get on iOS. I, I, see, I don't know about that. I don't know about that because you're entirely right. That person's not going to care, and that person's not going to buy Rayforce. But I, I think not everybody who has an iPhone is going to be in the Square Square Enix camp. But I think most people are going to be, or at least most, I guess, the same ratio of people who own iPhones compared to the general population will be, you know, this that same ratio of people who are in the Square Enix camp will have iPhones, and I think that subset. Either it, it's larger than we we think, and maybe that's what they're banking on, or maybe it's incredibly tiny, and they're going to learn that the hard way. But that, I think that's who this is aimed at. Well, the same people, be, but I just I don't I still don't think that those even people who know Square Enix, I don't think that they think it's worth that on iOS. Oh, I, 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 I and I, I think that's maybe a fault of just the App Store itself, not I, so much Square Enix. I the same people who the same people who know who are a part of the Square Enix camp are the same exact people who know. That if a if an iOS game comes out for fifteen bucks, somebody else has also made that game for free or cheaper. 
well, well, cheaper than 15 bucks or free, I should say. So, you know, I, I, I think they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, throw their weight around in the wrong, in the wrong place, at least for now. Um, but I, I guess we'll see as they continue to release games for iOS, because you know every every publisher now is looking to publish more in the mobile space. You know we'll see if they continue with this trend and how far exactly you know it's going to go. Moving on to our next topic, uh, let's talk a little bit about Bioware and uh, you know the old you know the old Republic. Uh, I, I think the game came out on the seventeenth of last year. When did it, when did the twentieth? I think it was the the twentieth was the official day, and there was I think was right, the thirteenth was the early launch. Yeah. So as a, like around this time, you know, the thirty days of of you know free trial are coming to an end, and some people are looking to cancel their subscription. Problem is, some people can't find they can't see the cancel subscription button, and uh, some people are uh, they're screaming foul, and you know. They're accusing Bioware of subscription fraud, not allowing you to cancel your subscriptions. Um, now, this doesn't affect everybody. Some people have no problem; they can see the cancel, uh, they can see the cancel button with no issue. And others are having this problem where they can't see it. And in order to cancel, you know, they have to talk to support and get a direct link or they actually have to call and cancel their subscription, you know, go old school. But, uh, yeah, either way, I, I really don't understand how could you have a, a, a disappearing cancel subscription button, especially when all it does is leave. It's not like it's some magical button that runs all types of scripts and stuff. It's just a button that leads you to a cancellation page. I, I really don't know what, what to think of it. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before <laughs> yeah i don't think it's purposeful but it definitely like speaks to kind of an issue that you probably would want to have worked out before that because you you have to allow people to cancel like and you can't make them jump through hoops to do it at least not in the situation that ea is in with this game like you you can't do that there are things like ao you know like thinking about aol way back in the day where you had to jump through hoops to cancel that you know that type of thing but this isn't that <laughs> you need to make it easy for people coming in and going uh- I just want to say, based on personal experience, I think this is either some kind of browser issue, or maybe people are still using IE6 or something, and the button is not showing up, <laughs> or or user error. Those, I, I, that's the only things I can think of. I mean, I, I have yeah, to, I just I, don't, I don't think it's purposeful. I, I, I love Bioware. I can't imagine that they would do something like this. Um, so I have to, I have to feel this is all some kind of giant mistake. Oh, yeah, I, I think EA doesn't need any more bad press, so I don't think they would do this on purpose. Well, yeah, but but at what point do they have enough bad press that anymore doesn't matter? It's all just you know fuel yeah. on the fire. It's not <laughs> it's not going out anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think they did this on purpose. But my my I don't understand what's taking them so long to fix this. Right, they're saying like we're looking into it, but you know, like that thread was deleted, and you know that it. it still may not be showing up for some people like i am sure there's a certain amount of user error involved like there always is but i think it's one thing when you have some people say like oh we have an issue and then you have like a whole lot of a lot of threads go up on the forums and they get deleted and they get taken down saying that they have an issue and when people and i think the other issue is that people are posting like links in the forum to like here's a direct link so like if you need to cancel like this is how you can cancel and they're getting taken down like I think that may be what why people are calling fault like foul so much because it's like well why would you not allow somebody to have up a link that says like and, and like why is why is their community manager or whoever not putting up a link that says like 
it, we're working on this issue. If you need to cancel, this is what you can go to. Yeah, exactly. I think bad. that's the problem. But, but, I think it just makes them look bad. Are we really surprised that we're discussing more problems with EA-supported uh, forums again? It's... Nope. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> you are correct. I, I just think they don't they don't need any issues, especially with something as high-profile as the older public. But like I said, I don't think it's on purpose. As long as you can still call in and I mean pick up the phone and, and, and call in that way, I think it's it's all really moot because it's not like they're saying no, we are completely restricting your access to cancel. Give us our money. It's it's right. It's, and it's if an error. and if anybody does have their card charged after the twentieth or whatever, like I'm sure they're gonna get their money refunded. I don't think the EA is gonna be like like oh you're calling about click <laughs> like, <laughs> like hang up the phone on them. Like they're not. That's not going to happen. Although with their EULA, I, who knows? <laughs> is it possible that in order to run the cancel application, you need to have Origin installed? I think wasn't Origin required for Knights of the Republic anyway. Oh no, um, no? I, okay. I believe if you downloaded it digitally, you had the only way to get it was Origin. However, if you, if you go to a store and pick it up, uh, um, right. it does not require Origin. Kind of like Crisis Two. Like if you get Crisis Two in a box, you don't need Origin. Battlefield, not so much. Okay, so they didn't make Origin required for the Elder Public. It's right. just a way that probably 75% of the people got it. Exactly, right. Okay. Yeah, so um, hopefully they get that fixed soon, because I'm pretty sure if not, somebody's just waiting, waiting to kick up some legal action. <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially if they didn't know how they didn't know have that crappy ULA. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, this is just uh, fuel to the fire with with EA. Um, but uh, moving on to our next topic, there was a study done on uh, free-to-play uh, players and their behaviors, and uh, the the result of the study is that games must properly engage players before offering in-app purchases. Imagine that, because <laughs> um, you know we, we talk about free-to-play. You know, over the past couple of months, we've we've been doing it pretty frequently, and there's definitely been some hits and there's been some misses. Uh, like you know, some some free to plays they don't really pressure you into buying anything. It's just kind of something naturally that you do. Whereas others, like I, I mean, like APB is my biggest example. Like every time you do something, they just throw it in your face. If you were paying for this, this is what you could be doing, you know. Um, but the show study showed that about forty four percent of you know free to play players will use an app at least ten to or an app or a game. Sorry. Um, at least 10 times before they're willing to invest in any microtransactions or in-app purchases uh, with just you know only 22% investing cash on their first play. And it also notes that people who wait to, you know, they wait to, you know, the 44%, the ones that wait to pay, um, they tend to actually, you know, spend more than somebody who will jump in and buy something for like a dollar, you know, and then get out. Uh the other, they're about twenty-five percent more. Uh, actually, they said the cu- the customers who don't pay immediately, uh, on average, spend about spend about twenty-five percent more than the players who pay on who you know who give it up on the first, <laughs> give it up on the first play. I guess you could say. So, yeah, hopefully, people are paying attention to this study and actually working on making their games good before you have to actually purchase stuff. Because actually, because uh, I think Marvel versus not Marvel versus Capcom. Sorry, but um. DC Universe was my first free-to-play purchase. First free-to-play game that I've ever purchased anything. And I only purchased stuff after I liked playing the game. Right, I mean, we were well into the game, you know, 
a third of the way to max level, at least right now, a third of the way to max level before there was a purchase made, you know, before we started looking in the store and going, oh, you know, their stuff. So I none of this surprises me at all. I think that it's just maybe surprising to be like to some of the, the freemium makers of stuff who think that like everybody goes right in and buys stuff. Like, I don't see how it could be surprising that people need to spend time with your game to know that they're going to spend time with it before they'll spend money on it. Because typically you only spend money on something that you're willing to like invest in, you know, and that includes your time too. So no surprises. I don't know. That's about it for me. I don't see. Yeah. I don't see how this is newsworthy. It's, you know, good games will make people want to spend money. It's, it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, but I think the problem is that a lot of the, a lot of uh, especially you know well you know yes gaming is a business but I, I you know I don't live in the fantasy world that you know gaming is just looked at as this creative you know open environment where you just want people to have fun yes I do know as a business but I think the problem is that some publishers developers put the business aspect too forward. You know, bef- you know, they put like we need. You know, the first thing they think is like, we need to make money off of this. So how can we make money off of this? Uh, and the first thing that comes out of somebody's mouth is not make the game fun first. You know, they start talking about we can monetize this, we can monetize that, we can do this, we can do that, as opposed to having discussions about how can we make this game fun. Well, I, right. I can see. I can see there are might- people who sit around and do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, no, I can see how there might be a problem if somebody's like, oh, we need to make, you know, such and such formulaic game, which has qualities from X and qualities of Y and try to, you know, Frankenstein something together without really thinking about a fundamental experience that will be enjoyable. And maybe that's who this article should be read by. But I think for most of us, we, it's, I don't think, I don't think there's anything really newsworthy. Yeah. I don't think for anything, for players, there's anything newsworthy. I think it should be shown to like every corporate, you know, bean counter and, you know, monetizer and all the, all those people. I think that like that kind of a thing needs to be like, here's your memo for the day. <laughs> like people actually want to enjoy the game before they spend money on it. Like it doesn't matter how you monetize it if the game's no good. Like I think that those are the people who need to see it. I don't think it's a surprise for gamers because we know. Like we know because we play things and we know how we react to stuff. There may be people who will jump in the first day and decide, oh man, I love this game and buy something. But on the whole, I think it requires that you come become invested in something, you know before you invest in it monetarily. Although the thing that really interests me about this though is that uh, they the the firm like their research also said that about a quarter of all the apps were only used once after downloading. And I'm like, wow, that's that that highlights that right there highlights like what why like the free to play boom is going to be a big problem. Because it's only going to get worse, I think. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's if it it can't, it's going to get oversaturated. I mean, we've talked about this before. How you know everybody's kind of jumping on the free to play bandwagon, and I think they're doing uh, they're doing it uh, for the wrong reason. I, I think what's happening is that a lot of devs are making crappy games, and then they're like, "Oh, it's not that the game is crappy. It's just that we're trying to monetize it incorrectly." <laughs> and then you have the free to play. Yeah, but I, I think though the the issue of what, a quarter of the people you know downloading the app and trying it once and then leaving, I think that's more of an issue that, that those are twenty five percent people they should never have targeted in the first place. That they came in and they saw there was no cost to download and give it a try, and they just realized it wasn't for them. So they, they it's almost kind of it's almost wrong to count them in the initial downloads because they weren't the people you wanted to target anyway. I, I suppose that's, that's true. I'm that's sure there point. is an acceptable number that they think is you know this is okay for 
what our turnover should be. But I think it highlights a problem where if you already have a quarter of all apps where people like get it and drop it, that that it's only going to get worse as the market gets more crowded. That was more yeah. my point. Yeah, but it, uh, Nick is definitely right. I mean, when you do free to play, more people are definitely going to try your game. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have tried APB unless it was free to play. You know, I wouldn't have tried um, DC Universe unless it was free to play. So, you know, there's there's in for every person like me that tries a free to play and then likes it, there's going to be probably two or three people that's like, eh, whatever, and then go back to doing something else. You know, like be honest with you, more likely if I was act currently engaged in MMO, I probably wouldn't play DCU. So, Truth. you know, it, that's that's just the way it is. But uh, I think uh, the regardless of that, the study did bring up some good points that I think would be wise for whoever is doing these deci- the, the making the decisions regarding the monetize uh, you know monetizing these games. Whoever's making the decisions should really take this into consideration. You know, first, like Nick said, like this isn't, isn't really newsworthy because it should be common knowledge that first you need to make your game fun then you should worry about monetizing it. Uh, but moving on to our next topic, we're going to talk a little bit about Gaikai. Um, actually, our, our next two topics are about cloud gaming in general. But uh, the big news is, well, it's not really big news because we kind of already knew this was happening. Gaikai is rolling out to Facebook. Now, uh, articles that we've seen from Gaikai before, screenshots we've seen from Gaikai, and even statements from Gaikai have talked about the potential of being in a Facebook and, you know, EA or other publishers being able to deploy their demos through Facebook with the click of a button. You know, that was something that they had already talked about. So I just figured that everybody knew that they were going to, you know, roll Gaikai out in Facebook. Um, but just uh, uh, Dave Perry uh, was talking that he was at the... Uh, uh, cloud gaming uh, uh there was a cloud gaming convention in europe and he he was talking about gaikai being rolled out into facebook and offering demos of, of pc games um you know stuff like dead space 2 and you know i was uh rage probably crisis 2 stuff like that um you know and so you know players will be able to just kind of hop in and check out those demos and determine whether or not they want to get the game which uh I think it's for the, that's. I really don't have anything negative to say about that. Uh, well, I tried the Gaikai service. Uh, I tried it with Dead Space Two, and it was really good. Like, uh, well, uh, the PC I tried it on had a very good internet connection. I will tell you that much. So, if you have like a DSL line or something like subpar cable, I really don't know how it's going to affect you. If they have a DSL on, they're still probably down, downloading last week's Mashcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you probably don't even have time for Gaikai. But uh, yeah, I mean, like if you on a steady, on a stable, nice, stable internet connection, Gaikai runs well. The PC I played it on was actually a pretty crappy PC, but the actual uh, the the bandwidth, you know, the internet that was behind the PC was phenomenal, and. um you know, I was able to play Dead Space 2 at a pretty high resolution uh, streaming from Gaikai with no latency. It was literally, you know, pretty much pretty much instant. Um, now, Perry, he also talked about, you know, other games besides just demos. Uh, you know, he was talking about, uh, he, you know, he, gave, he used World of Warcraft as an example. He says that Facebook already owns the casual gaming uh, you know, owns the casual gaming category. Uh, we're gonna help it own core games. And he says, a click and boom, you're playing World of Warcraft. 
I don't think. Oh, go ahead, Nick. I just want to say, like, it's what, okay. Maybe it's two clicks and boom. I'm already playing it now. I don't. I don't see yeah. why it needs to be in <laughs> Facebook. It's exactly. Just redundant. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, when you have a game like World of Warcraft or some of these games that are just straight up PC games, there really is no big advantage to having it locked, put into something like Facebook. Actually, I think a game like WoW actually puts you at a disadvantage, simply because um, if you're streaming WoW through Gaikai. One thing that you're not streaming is that cursed client that's running your plugins. That's very true. That's you very know. True. No. Uh, go ahead. No, but the, the other thing, too, is that, I mean, WoW has a chat client in it already. I think if you wanted to mix WoW and Facebook together, I think it's more like you need to bring Facebook into WoW and not the other way around. It, 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 feels, it feels very counterintuitive what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm I think afraid. it's marketing hype more than it's, oh, it's totally marketing hype. Yeah, more than like an actual thing. Like they they're not going to own the core games. They just want more exposure for core games. Really, I think it's gonna it may get people who wouldn't normally look at like Dead Space Two or something to play, sure. it, and then they'll crap their pants and never play it again. But you know, like that idea. <laughs> Fun- fundamentally, though, shouldn't we then get like Zenga to make like Orgrimmarville? Like, wouldn't that maybe be the exposure they're looking for? I don't know if that's really gonna help. It's it's all about the the audience. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, Farmville works for certain people, but you know what I'm saying? Is your, like, you know, your mom may play Farmville. You know, I I really hope not. (laughs) But, like, is your mom really going to play World of Warcraft? I definitely hope not. (laughs) You know, do you want her finding you? (laughs) You know, Nick, you need to clean up your room. No. Uh, well, no, my, well, my room's a mess, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. But, no, I, I feel like no, my mom would roll alliance and I'd roll horde. It just wouldn't go very well. Ah, uh, okay. Why are you one of them stinking cows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like for certain games, I I don't think it's it really makes a difference for the core PC audience. For us PC gamers, this I don't think this is gonna make a difference. Like I'm not gonna be like, oh, I could play Crisis Two on Facebook, man. You know, fuck my twenty five hundred dollar PC. You know what I'm saying? Like it's well, that's <laughs> the thing. I think it gives. I think it just opens up. When they say core games, I really feel, feel like they're talking about the console market, and it yeah. opens it to a crowd that doesn't necessarily have access or doesn't want to buy a console. You can stream a demo for you know something or stream a full game of something eventually, and then suddenly, I don't know, the playing feels even in a way. I don't know. Well, you know what? I don't even think like so, something like this would really help even the console market in terms of PC gaming, because a lot of console gamers just do not like the feel of a mouse and keyboard, even though it is superior. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, you know, they, they just don't like the way it feels. Like, I have a friend who loves shooters, and he just can't get the feel of that mouse and keyboard, man. You know, so... Is he any good? On consoles, yeah. So then that's a No. <laughs> I can't disagree with that statement. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you know, it's not like you know, the control is a huge part of your experience. Naturally, you know. So if you play a game, let's say you play one of the greatest games on the face of the planet, a shooter, and you play it with with controls that don't feel good to you, or like you know, you suck while playing the game. That's really gonna ruin your experience. So I don't even think this is like really for them. You know. Um, I think it is primarily for, you know, still the PC market, which I think it will kind of help the PC gaming market. You know, like, it's 
I think it'll 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 open up people to to actually trying mouse and keyboard and seeing how good PC games look versus you know console games because even the Dead Space Two Gaikai uh, stream that I had looked better than the console version. I I just fe- I just feel like I'm getting hung up on this whole play it through Facebook aspect because I I I, I feel like especially like a lot of PC gaming either it's an online game where you have a community that you're interacting with in the game and you don't need Facebook involved or it's a single player experience where it's just you alone and you don't need Facebook involved so well, I guess maybe f- from an access standpoint if it's, all it is is you click on the you click on a link in Facebook and it opens up the game and I'm sure it'll tell all your friends like you know you're playing Crisis at the moment but if that's all it is and, and at that point on you're sort of disengaged from facebook it allowed you to access the game maybe that's not so bad but i feel like there's going to be some sort of integration in there that is just going to ruin the experience i think there's going to be that's the ruining part (laughs) i think it's going to be integration with the facebook chat client so you you know your friends could pop in and you'll probably see what games they're playing and maybe hop into their games as well so isn't that steam yes (laughs) but the thing is i don't i think uh, people might be looking at it the wrong way like right now i'm you can tell me if I'm wrong, but you're probably visioning it where you have Facebook in your web browser and inside that browser you see Dead Space. That is absolutely how I'm imagining this. You are that, I don't think that's how it's gonna look because even when I when I did the stream for Gaikai, you know, once I like you know, once I started the stream, uh it takes full screen. Like it go it goes full screen kinda like you're in the game itself. That's that's a little that that'll relieves me a little bit. Yeah, like it it's actually like you're playing it, it's not like you're playing a browser game. It's actually like you're playing a game. And I could totally see them having some functionality where uh, you know, you hit shift and tab and you know, now your Facebook interface comes up like Steam. Right, Facebook overlay. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's weird though, and I, I think that the visibility definitely might help like PC games or even console games to a certain extent. Um but the one thing that, like, I guess, I mean, we, we kind of talked about it, but he says another point after it, like, he, you know, the whole owning casual, we're going to help him own core games. But I hate this type of argument because after that, he says that the biggest barrier to owning customers online is friction. And he said, in order to play a demo on Valve Steam service, you have to click on the screen more than 40 times, filling in forms, answering questions about internet speed, signing terms of service, and other hurdles. That's bullshit. Like, if you you have to, if you're gonna talk about it that way, you have to talk about it as you having to sign up for Facebook for the first time too, because that's how they're talking about Steam. When I go into Steam to play a demo, I click two times. I click on the game that I want to play, and then I click on load a demo. Like, I don't see how you can make that assumption without like, or make that com- comparison without saying like, well, if you sign into Facebook from the beginning, then you know, you have to click 50 times and fill in all your information and blah, 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 and fill in your timeline and all that stuff. Like, I, I hate that comparison. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me about yeah, that. I, I just no. hate that. I just hate when they use that kind of non-equivalence. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely just kind of marketing. That's, whoever wrote his speech told him to say that. You know what I'm right. saying? Like, that's what, that, that's what that was. Like, he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about because either way, you, whether you're looking at Facebook or Steam, if you're a brand new user, there's a lot of signing up to do. There's a lot of like clicking and filling this out and filling that out and all that stuff. That there's a lot of that to do. But right now with Steam, you know, I just click a link, download demo, boop, done. And you know, everybody knows that. So I, I don't think anybody's gonna argue with that. That is definitely just pure marketing jargon. Um, now, one thing that I thought was interesting, and I didn't expect for him to kind of take this this turn, 
in terms of the uh, you know in, with with this talk here, but he, <laughs> was, he was talking about how consoles are killing themselves by trying to drop, I guess the the console name and become these entertainment devices, which I could not agree more. I couldn't agree more, be simply because like you know. Right now, oh, actually, with the latest dashboard update we've seen, you know, with Microsoft, like, you know, they definitely pushed gaming to the side and brought more entertainment apps to the forefront, which Microsoft clearly, like, they clearly march around and say, hey, yeah, our video apps are usage is up by 50%. Meanwhile, indie games is getting the shaft. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I agree to a certain extent. But the way that, like, at least the way I perceive that he's saying it, like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with. Like, I think that, that yes, like, I don't, I don't think that there's any way that consoles can't, can't, you know, can survive without becoming more diverse, like, without becoming more entertainment consoles. But they can't forget the console part. Like the 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 360 update with the dashboard, like, highlighted why it's a problem to to make entertainment your forefront instead of why you even have a system out in the first place. But I don't think them having more options or having more abilities or having you know more entertainment options it is killing them. I think that that's I think that's a like I think that's false. It's not that having more entertainment options is killing them. It's just that though they're pushing it to the forefront okay. and pushing gaming to the side. That's well, what he's I agree with about. That. I think that you can't forget that you're a console. Like that's I think that that's the problem. And I think that that may be like, you know, if you're saying it like that, then yes. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's there. And it is, it is clear this with the. Well, I can't say that they, as in both Sony and Microsoft, because Sony, in my opinion, really hasn't, like, you know, they, well, you know what the difference is? When the Xbox came out, it came out as a video game console. And as time progressed, then they started adding entertainment features in. When Sony made the PS3, they knew they wanted the PS3 to be your 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 console for they wanted it to be everything. They oh, wanted right. it to and be the, your Blu-ray player. The, they wanted the it to be your video. Yeah, it, it only does everything. Exactly. Right. <laughs> that's the thing that that, that, been that. Yeah. that was their plan from the beginning, and that's why I think I would say they have successfully merged the entertainment and they have uh, and the gaming portion it's just that microsoft has been really good about getting those entertainment deals first you know like they're the first with hbo go on a console they were the they're first with netflix exactly xbox has the hype machine but it, i think yeah. but yeah but like you can't forget where you came from you can't forget your roots it doesn't matter how much you talk about an iphone if it doesn't have a phone part you know right like if they if they were to say like oh we we brought out the new iphone and blah 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 but you know can't call anybody or text anybody on that, it. That's the, iPhone, that's, that, that's the, uh, the, the uh, iPhone Touch. or the Is it the iTouch? The iPod Touch. The iPod Touch, thank you. Right. But at least it still plays music. That'd be like an iPod doesn't play music. You know, like that's, you know, or, or like the, the, the music is hidden so far into like, you know, in your in your menu or something that you can't tell. Well, but like iPhone, you know, smartphones and things don't don't deal with that crisis of identity. Well, I was, I was going to say. Other stuff and what they were meant to do. I was gonna say it'd be like if they released like a, the PS4 or the uh, the Xbox 720 came out and they had no you know slot for for media, but but I guess that's if they go with cloud gaming, it's entirely possible you could download everything. So I can't say that that would uh, would be infeasible. But no, I mean they're they're not releasing any competitors like a Roku box. I think they know exactly what they're doing. It's the games aren't going away. 
Right, but I think like the point that he was making is, you know, as consoles try to push away from that gaming image and make people, they, you know, Microsoft definitely wants somebody who's not a gamer to pick up an Xbox and think it's an entertainment device. And that can kind of work at first, you know what I'm saying? But look, like, for example, look now, like, at first, there were only, you know, the in terms of Netflix, you only had Xbox 360 and Roku. But now, it's everywhere. My TV will play Netflix without the use of any device whatsoever, you know? And for somebody, actually, perfect example, over the past weekend, I, uh... Over the past weekend, I bought a Blu-ray player that does everything in terms of video, uh, in terms of video uh, video capabilities. It does everything my Xbox does, plus it's a Blu-ray player. Okay, so if I'm somebody who's just interested in you know a media device, why would I go with an Xbox when I can go with you know a, a, a Blu-ray player that does all that stuff for cheaper? Or I can even, uh, in the near future, get TVs that does all of the streaming stuff. Like, you know, if HBO Go is successful on the 360, is is HBO really going to limit themselves to 360 only? No, they're going to try to expand out, you know? Uh, and that's the thing like the average person isn't going to do that like they they have to have a reason to go out and pick up a console like i over christmas we bought a the sony blu-ray player um for like my fiance's grandmother the it it literally looks like a ps3 <laughs> like literally the same thing looks like a ps3 except smaller and it does everything like it, it's set up the same way. It has a cross media bar. You have access to net, you know, Netflix, all that stuff. You can get all that stuff on it. Um, has you know, you can plug an internet connection into it, and it does everything except play games. But it's you know, a hundred and you know, a hundred dollars instead of two hundred fifty dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Unless like it, you can pack a lot of features into a console game and hope that maybe people eventually you know get to the console part. But if you're trying to hook people, hook people by saying. It's, you know, an entertainment device. Well, why is $100 more than everything else? Oh, because it plays games. Well, I don't care about games. Exactly. And then, yeah, that's a problem. And kind of defeats your purpose. And then on top of that, like, if they continue to push games away, and let's say, let's get to go insane <laughs> and do something like, you know, go with a, a cloud gaming service, you know, you know, like with Gaikai, and they start hosting their games that way. Now, do you even need that device at all? No, because, you know, Gaikai could get put onto a TV directly or, you know, OnLive could get put onto a TV directly, which, you know, I can totally see TVs coming with OnLive, um, you know, very soon because of the type of service it is. So, yeah, I think that that last portion was real. I, th- I thought was a, a very, very valid point, And it's been something I've been thinking about for a while. Um, but other than that, you know, we'll see what happens when they when they when they go on Facebook and you know how that affects, you know, PC gaming. Personally, I think it's just gonna—it's gonna be good for PC gaming. I don't see how it could negative, you know, negatively affect it at all. Right, impact on consoles is one thing, but until con, you know, cloud gaming in general gets better, I don't think that huge threat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna we're gonna move on to our next topic, um, which is actually our last topic: some uh, security concerns. Um, on Xbox Live. Uh, now, over the last few weeks, you know, we've heard various reports. Um, I think 
most notably is the the story of Susan Taylor and how, you know, she was bounced around between customer support departments. They were supposed to lock her account. They never did, and she wound up losing some money out of her, you know, out of her bank account because, you know, they, they buy, they bought a, they bought, you know, things in the, in, in the, uh, on Xbox Live or whatever with her actual, you know, credit card that was attached to uh, her Xbox Live account. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, the more and more reports are coming out of people losing, you know, their accounts getting hacked and then losing, like, real money uh, on their Xbox stuff. And Microsoft is just steadily... Not not taking to say there's nothing wrong. There was, uh, you know, it, you guys are being fished. Or I've heard reports where Microsoft say, well, you know, the third-party apps, they're the problem. Like, they're saying, like, people are getting fished from Netflix and Hulu um, and other the other services that connect to your Xbox. And they're blaming on that. But they th- themselves are not, they're not saying, they're saying that there's nothing wrong. But increasing, you know, there's just increasing reports saying that, Yes, there is something wrong because more and more people are getting, you know, their accounts hacked. Well, I I love their insistence that there has not been a breach because if you technically look at it, like, no, there was no actual breach of their services. But the point is people have still found an an entry point to go in and attack their customers individually one at a time. And so, well, from like a a strictly parse, you know, a strictly terse standpoint, parsing the language, they're not incorrect in saying there was no breach but they're they're completely they're completely just covering their own ass and missing the point right and you know <laughs> with the recent changes made to the EULA uh when they who knows when they finally decided to say yeah there was a breach but you have to deal with us in arbitration <laughs> you know because you you agreed to that you know to that EULA i think that's uh It'd be a really shitty situation to be deal with for a lot of people, unless you actually sent the uh, sent the uh, the letter in you needed to to you know uh, tell them that you don't agree to that portion of the ULA or to to uh, you know opt out of that portion of the ULA. Um, there's been some reports uh, saying that well, I should say some reports, but some theories that uh, the hackers are getting through you know, xbox.com or the live accounts or, you know, live.com or live.net. No, it's live.com, sorry. Uh, because uh, live.com and xbox.com will allow you to try passwords indefinitely. So what they say that the hackers are doing is that they'll, you know, they'll find a gamer tag, they'll pop the gamer tag, you know, they'll play with somebody like, let's say Halo or Gears, take that gamer tag, pop it into Google, uh, find the associated email address that goes with that gamer tag, and then just hammer Xbox.com or Live.com with password attempts until they until they get one that works. And so right, and yeah. I think that's why Microsoft's not terming it as a breach, but that's fucking retarded because it's not a breach, but it's a serious fucking security flaw uh, if you could sit there and brute force hack something indefinitely. That means it, you're raising the percentage to 100% that somebody's going to get access to that account eventually. You have to admire the ballsiness of their statement because it's it 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 as I said it's it's completely correct and yet it completely misses the point. Right, and but uh, but actually as a as a note, and I don't know if like you've if you've read anything that like since, but there was an update. Um, the guy who who pointed out the flaw, uh, he noted later that they ninja patched it so that they that it stops after like eight attempts. 
Um, right, yeah, I did read that. Yeah. So I'm like, that's that's great. <laughs> not, not that we can uh, go and, and, and sue them with, with arbitration, but isn't that sort of a tacit acknowledgement that there was a problem? Well, but there was no tacit acknowledgement because they just fixed it without saying anything. You know, yeah, but, so therefore it didn't happen, right? Well, you know, that's that's their viewpoint, I guess, because you know we don't make an announcement about it, and it never happened. That's not a problem. But yeah. the funny thing will be to see if it keeps happening, even though they fix this. What if this isn't the way that the the people were getting access? Like that, that to me is worrying. Like there may not have been a breach. There may not have been like somebody snuck in and walked away with like your entire you know cache of of every file about every person, but. This has been going on since last July, June, July, and God, like that's like seven. Like if if the PSN network was down for seven months, like Sony would have to fucking go out of business. <laughs> like to bring your PS3s back to the store or refund your money. We're getting out of gaming. Like, and I, I guess technically, you know, since Xbox Live is still up. But, like, I don't know how a problem can go on for seven months that has the same exact MO, like, every time. And that you say there's no problem. There is a, there's a very serious problem. No, there's a huge problem, but I think it's very easy to ignore when it's just individual customers that are getting picked off, you know, one at a time as opposed to an actual large-scale right, you know, violation of the services. Right. If it's not a lot of like sound and fury, like, oh, our entire service going down, then like people don't notice. I think the other thing, too, and I think this only plays a certain certain amount of a role in it, but I have literally gone through like articles where they talk about the Xbox Live hacking and like just Microsoft going, no, 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 you know, like blinders on that whole thing and go in the comments and see like whole comment sections. With people like flying their Microsoft banners and defending Microsoft, like to the death, about the fact that it's not Microsoft's fault. Like none of this is a security problem with them. It's people with weak passwords. Literally, like literally, this is in like whole fanboy platforms, like a whole deal. Like, oh, uh, your 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 passwords aren't good enough. That's the problem. And I'm like, there may be some truth to that. There may be some cross, you know, between different you know, accounts because people reuse passwords you're not supposed to. They use weak passwords you're not supposed to. But for the amount of people, like, this isn't social engineering. It's not phishing. Like, hacking may not be the right word, but there's a serious security flaw and I don't, and I don't think it's all the... It can't be every single... It can't be every single user that's getting hacked. After right. Some point. Yeah, I think... <sighs> I can't see Microsoft not actually taking care of this because if they let this... If they're just in denial and they let this balloon out of control, I mean, how much how how much trouble is that for them? So, I think secretly they're definitely trying to, you know, patch it up or fix whatever they need to fix. But in the meantime, they're trying to keep it quiet because you know they don't want they just don't want the bad publicity like you know happen with the PSN hack. Well, not only the bad publicity, but there's there's also plenty of laws that if there is a violation, then they have to notify all their customers and send out emails and everything. I think they don't want to get involved with any of that. Right. You know, like there was a big enough problem when my, when PSN for a week didn't say what happened. Like if you sit, go seven months and you don't tell people that you, you were aware that something was happening and that it was going on and you just sat there and denied it for seven months, like that's a shitstorm. Like that's like that's well like that makes PSN hack like as big as as much sound and fury and as much as that got everywhere the PSN hack was, like that makes the PSN hack look small. 
That right? is true. As far as what the fallout is, not not so much necessarily like the one-time event of it happening, but like it, the fallout from that is ginormous. And I mean, like I think that you, you, you're both you're both right. Like they are secretly going about fixing it. And I think the EOLA is part of that because, oh, something, if there's a shitstorm, like, oh, after the certain point, you know, all these people that have been hacked since this point in time, you can't, you can't sue us. You can't take us to court. You can't do anything about it except for arbitration because, well, you signed the EOLA, so, you know, but, and then in the, in the background, they'll sit there and try and fix it. But it's, there's only a certain amount that you can sit there and say, like, nothing is wrong when, it's like, you know, like, oh, nothing is wrong, and then you're throwing up your hands, but behind you, like, a fucking nuclear plant's exploding and stuff, you know, like, it's like Homer Simpson, you know, like, dropping, like, a nuclear rod or something, like, oh, everything's fine, you know, in the background, like, guys, I don't, like, people aren't that stupid, although apparently there is a subset of people that is that stupid, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when, when you sign the EULA, are you retroactively giving up your rights? Because I don't think the EULA is quite seven months old, so I would assume that the people oh, no. who were first I victimized think, by this right. are still covered under the old EULA. I agree. I think that that is true. I don't know, like, specifically legally I'm a lawyer, but, like, I would think that that is true. But that means that anybody after that point, like, that means that you've shrunk whatever possible class action lawsuit against you, but, like, sizably. If, right. you know, it's cut in half or, you know, down by a few months. But I, I feel like a good lawyer, and, and, and again, though, you have to figure if it's an arbitration case, I don't know how good a lawyer they would get, but I feel like a good lawyer would at least have the opening to make the argument. And I, I don't know, oh, I don't know if they'd win with against a Microsoft lawyer, though, so it'd be interesting to see if that happened. I think it's just weighted in their favor if you do have to go to arbitration with them. That's that's really the only thing it is, the only thing it does. And I, especially if it's like blatantly obviously like you know, oh, you denied for seven months that nothing was wrong, and yet here's five million people that have been hacked over time or something. You know, like yeah, there, there's a hard point to try and deny something like that. But they they up their odds, I guess. It, and if they fix it in the background and it doesn't become like a huge thing and they have to settle with a few people, not so much a loss for them. Right. As long as they can make it look small. Very true. Or smaller than it is, I should say. Yeah. So uh, I guess I, I think it's all coming to a head with more and more people becoming aware of it, and more you know because more people are getting hacked. So we'll have, just have to see exactly what Microsoft does. Or who you never know, like somebody, you know, like LulzSec Anonymous may just decide to be like, okay, well. We're gonna we're gonna you know break down your door and show that there 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 has been hacking, or know? they're gonna say like we're responsible for this. You know this is how, you know like kind of like oh yeah like oh yeah we totally accessed you through a crappy script when they were when they hacked Sony like they came out and just said like you know this is how we got in your door. You know I think that eventually like they made you know if it is a one group behind it then they're eventually gonna say like yeah so we've been owning you for like a year. Right. Yeah, but. But Lulzsec, well, I mean, they've gone in and they've defaced stuff, but I don't think they've ever engaged in, in I guess, criminal activity against consumers. I mean, there were people who here who legitimately had their Xbox accounts hacked into, and then games were purchased, and then the account was resold. And so somebody was definitely making a profit off this, and I don't think that's ever really been Lulzsec or Anonymous's sort of, uh, you know, modus operandi. Oh no, no, it's not. It's not been their mo. But how long does it take before somebody with the technical know-how does? you know, do something like that. Like Anonymous or Lulzsec may have had, you know, some sort of moral standard 
of some you know of a certain type or some sort of honor code about it you know after psn hack and you know all the information that was gotten you didn't see anybody whose credit cards got misused or anything like that you know there may be some sort of honor code but how long is it before somebody doesn't have that honor code and they are looking to monetize it you know and before and then they and then they go i mean it's in their best interest not to say anything in that case if they are doing something you know it's not about proving a point it's about money but how long is it before that happens though like there that was the big problem with the psn hack it it exploited like how open like a lot of these systems were and how easy it would be that somebody who did want to do real real wrong by you could have you know if it hadn't been anonymous and somebody else did it on the sly and you started everybody you know millions of people started finding that their credit cards are getting used for stuff i think that's a that's a vastly different situation than you're hacked, lol, we owned you, we're not going to release any of the information, though. Right. It's not virtuous, even though I guess it's not really virtuous technically in the first place to do it, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. But I, I think it's, I think that you will see more coverage over time, because, I mean, back in July when this happened, like, literally the only place I saw covering was Ars Technica. Like, that's the only place I saw it being covered at all as if it was a real thing. Like, other gaming outlets... God bless us all, goddamn game journalists. But we weren't covering it at all, like because people like to pretend there's no problem unless something is really obvious, especially when from such a cash cow like Microsoft. But you know, like that didn't last. It as long as soon as other people started picking it up, now you're starting to see that story everywhere. You know, in the last two months, I would say now it's starting to get around. Well, it's, it's, and to be fair too, like when it, at first it was one or two three people and but over time it has definitely increased substantially so why you know wherever these wherever the hackers are you know allegedly wherever they, wherever they are they were maybe getting around like hey you can you, there's this there's this exploit you can use to get xbox live account info and now more and more people are getting their stuff hacked even if that's the case, though, I mean, like, if you can't make it a huge story, like Microsoft is denying that things are being hacked, even though that that's you know, if it's not, even if it's not a big story, which I think is part of the issue now, is like that's the reason it's getting so much coverage. Now it's a story, but before, how how much different would things maybe be if a bunch of places are covered and said this is something that's happening right now, and it may not be affecting a lot of people. But you let that go for seven months. I don't know. Like, I guess I feel like you have some sort of duty to your readers to like maybe inform people. This is that's a whole different issue from from the technical side of things. Though I can kind of see where Microsoft coming, and they they you know Microsoft deals with millions of people. You know what I'm saying? And just at my job alone, where I don't deal with nearly as many people. I get people all the time telling me about how they get hacked. There's a hacker in their system. Or they got hacked and, you know, stuff like that. So I can kind of say, you know, if if you don't have a certain percentage of people telling you something, you know, or telling you the same thing, it's kind of like, eh, this person probably did something wrong. Or right. So that's the thing, though. I'm not talking about Microsoft in this case. I'm talking about, uh, like, our brothers and sisters, game journalists, gaming outlets. This, this story didn't get covered. And like I said, that's a different issue, though. Like, it's yeah, a I, different I, thing. I think with anything, though, you need a certain critical mass of complaints. You can't go reporting every time somebody says the sky is falling. You need sort of more people saying that the sky is falling before you'll you'll. It, it becomes not becomes newsworthy, but you need you need to make sure it's a credible story. I and agree. I think they can't take one or two there's... people at their word. 
I agree. I mean, I, I don't think you come out and you say like, oh man, this, this is this is terrible, oh, craziness. You know, you don't you don't come out and you're not inflammatory or not tabloids, but you do come out and say like, this is a problem and it's been going on for a little bit because I mean, when Ars Technica reported on it, it's still been going on. So like, even saying July June is actually giving it too much credit because it's actually been going on longer than that. It's just that you stack it up over time, it's going to get worse. But I think that you, at some point, even if it's not in July when they reported on it, even if it was October instead of December when it was becoming obvious that it was an issue. I mean, like, we even wrote about it before most news outlets picked it up. I mean, like, not not to say anything, like, but I mean, like, that's not necessarily normal. <laughs> you know, like, it's it was it was obvious by then that there was an actual issue. So I don't, it's just weird, but that's just, that's, as game journalism, it's different, you know, a, a whole different issue than Microsoft's reaction to what's going on. Right. Well, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll continue to just monitor the situation, find out what Microsoft, you know, if they ever decide to say, well, look, we, we found this security problem, we patched it. But it's, you know, they, but, you know, as we talked about earlier, they probably never want to admit it because of how long it's been going on. Oh, certainly. So, They're yeah. never going to say we don't goofed. Exactly. So we'll just see what happens, you know, until one day, you know, the dam breaks and all hell breaks loose. So uh, we'll we'll just keep an eye on that. Uh, But that's going to end our topics. Uh, Let's talk about last week's question of the week, which was, how do you think the gaming landscape would change if Microsoft or Sony dropped out of the console race? Uh, We had one comment from Sage Infinite, who will probably be our new star commenter. You know, now that Wookiee's on the team. It's a role I cherish greatly, and I look forward to passing it on. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the torches of the past. Yeah. So uh, his comment was, I think any time options are taken away, it's not a good thing. I love Sony's exclusives and Microsoft's online service, and the also the few exclusives they have left. Would cut down on some fanboy wars, but something else has to, it w- will just pop up. I definitely think gaming would take a big hit if any of the big three dropped out. I mean, Sega had some serious games when they were still making systems. Now that they're gone, the quality of their games is nowhere near what it once was. Could be other factors, which I'm sure there are, but this, but that is the most notice, uh, notable one, in my opinion. And I think he makes some, you know, some pretty good points. Uh, you know, there was a definite difference in Sega games. Let's say, like, most notably Sonic the Hedgehog, the quality of those games versus when they were actually on Sega consoles. Personally, I think. Oh yeah, no, there's oh god difference. <laughs> Huge difference when they yeah. went from being hardware to software company. I mean shit, you could just all you gotta do is look at Sonic. Period. From Sega to see that decline. Yeah, I think it's because, you know, when they when the when the Dreamcast was around and the other Sega consoles, it was like Sonic was the flagship. Sonic represented the not only that game series and Sega, but their hardware. And, you know, it just kind of took away from that, you know, when, when they went software only. And that's not as much as riding on the fact that, you know, Sonic has to be a good game or else our console fails. And I was like, well, if Sonic's not a good game, we just make a, di- we just make a different game that's good, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, I think it was a very good point. You know, I would have loved to discuss the topic a little more, <laughs> but, uh, we only got one comment. No, it is what it is. Am, am I prohibited from commenting ever again? No, you can talk. With, speak your mind now. 
Well, I, I think the only thing that would be interesting to see would be, uh, again, sort of referencing the Dreamcast, would be to see sort of, the, the, I guess, the the the, lo- the fanboy war, like, who loses that? If it was like Sony that dropped off, I'd love to see sort of the, the people who still carry the flag for, for the PS3 years from now, and they still play all their retro games on there, and they, they've homebrewed it, and uh, I, I think that might be amusing to see, but otherwise, uh, otherwise, I think everything's been said. All right. So uh, this week's question of the week is, what do you think Gaikai's impact on Facebook games will be? Um, which, uh, personally, I mean, in terms of, I think, <laughs> I really don't think in terms of, like, you know, actual Facebook games, like the stuff you see from Zenga, the Farmvilles, the the Mafia Wars, all that stuff, I think that player base will remain exactly the same. Because people play, like, the type of people who play those games, you know, they play them for a reason. They, they you know, a lot of them play them because they like them they play them you know because uh you know they that's just what they do or they don't like some of the i guess the 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 core more more core titles you would call them but i don't think they're playing them because they don't have access to core games so i think i I really don't think that there's like you know guy kai coming to facebook isn't going to impact those games but i do want to hear what you guys have to think so definitely let us know what you think. Um, and yeah, that's that's going to bring us to the end of our show there. You can, uh, you know, you can catch us on SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash smash those buttons. Uh, Twitter.com slash MTV site. Facebook.com slash smash those buttons. And of course, just smash those buttons.com. Um, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So definitely if you have any comments, love us, hate us, let us know. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about Wookie. That should have been the comment of the question of the week right there. Ah, that's right. Think, new opinions on the new I'd, person. I'd, I'd like to let that stew for a while. Give me give me a few chances to either put my best foot forward or put my foot in my mouth. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. That will be the question of the week next week then. I'll, I'll, I'll note that. Oh, yeah, but now they're going to be taking notes the whole time next time. I, don't, I, I want them to have to not remember those things. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely uh, thanks for listening. Once again, I'd like to welcome Wookiee to the team. I'm pretty sure he'll be a great asset. <laughs> oh. Thank you very much. I, uh, I definitely enjoyed this. I look forward to uh, doing this again in the future. That's great. That's that's a week from now. <laughs> Just remember. It's, the future's coming up fast. Yeah, this happens, man. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening, guys, as always, and we will catch you next time. You can say bye. There you go. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, bye, guys. Bye. I was waving. I didn't know if they'd see that or not. No, no. (laughs) That's what we were all doing. We are all waving. (laughs) Okay, well, bye. All right, see you guys. (laughs) 